Amen. This morning we're going to do something very similar to last week and using the Sunday school time as an introduction for the morning message. And uh, we're going to go over a few things that we touched on in Sunday school the second time and then I hope we'll make application from that. Let's start in Luke chapter 19. Of course this is uh, the Sunday that is generally celebrated as Palm Sunday, the Sunday that Jesus rode the donkey and the donkey's colt through the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem and proclaimed to all that he is the very Messiah, the chosen one of God, the anointed one that God had sent. And of course, Jesus had a different ministry in mind than the people lining the streets and crying Hosanna. Had they been able to look into the future Uh, they would not have been able to lift up the praise that they did on that day. God intended Jesus to be praised on that day, just as he intended Jesus to be crucified later that same week. And yet, uh, I've been in this pulpit some... uh, It seems we have somebody walking by every week, a fellow walked by and saw him staring at the sign and inside, and I said, can I help you? And he said, would you pray with me? So I I prayed with him about a job situation. How long have you been here? He said, well, we've been in this building since Christmas Sunday, 1996. Oh, wow, that's a long time. And our church is in its 20th year, amen. October will be our 20th anniversary. And we only have one message to preach. Christ crucified, buried, and risen again. And if you're going to be saved, you've got to give up yourself and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to give up everything. And the triumphal entry, we're just going to touch on three three main points is an exact and and perfect illustration, a living testimony as to these very things that we need to give up and surrender to the Lord. The Jewish people had held the scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament. They had prophesied over and over again about the coming Messiah. He that would come to rule and reign. And of course you read Isaiah chapter 11 and it talks about the lion lying down beside the lamb. I'm looking forward to those days. How about you? Guess what? They were looking forward to those days when Jesus walked the earth. And they thought when he did the miracles rightly so that he was the Messiah, the coming king. They could not comprehend that the first time Jesus came was not to be the king, but to be the sacrifice. And as Jesus rode that donkey into the, over the crest of the hill and down into the city of Jerusalem, as we talked about and showed the, the artist's representation in the slides this morning, about the tens of thousands praising God, crying Hosanna to the son of David, Jesus beheld the city. And in Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 41, 
And when he, talking about Jesus, was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. I wonder how many people noticed that Jesus was weeping. I don't think very many. If you're having a great time of joy and people are, are, are singing and praising and, and clapping their hands and doing all of these things, don't you think if Jesus were, if they had noticed Jesus weeping, some of them would have stopped? But they didn't. Because God intended Jesus to be praised and worshipped on this day just as he intended them to be sacrificed a few days hence. But Jesus made an interesting statement here. Verse 42, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now are hid, now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. They rejoiced. Jesus wept. The title of this morning's message is The Foolishness of Men. You see, the new wave in religion is simply this. You give the people what they want. We've often joked here, and, and not necessarily to make light of the matter, but to illustrate how ridiculous the point is, if we wanted to fill this auditorium up with men, all we have to do is promise free beer. Wouldn't that work? Would it be church? No. It wouldn't be church. In fact, we'd probably have every bar in Astoria suing us for giving away free beer without a license uh, because we're taken away from their business. I mean, that's the way things work today, isn't it? Are we together yet? Now, we got a point to this madness. We really do. You see, there were certain things that Jewish people wanted from their Messiah. And if Jesus had been part and parcel of the prevailing philosophy of our day, it would have been right for him to give them what they wanted, right? Fortunately, Rick Warren hadn't written his book yet and Jesus hadn't read it and so he wasn't following that philosophy. Amen? I'm sorry. I'm just a little sarcastic. Jesus hadn't never had any intention to follow the philosophy of men because he is God. He never desired to give us what we want because we're not smart enough to know what we ought to want. Isn't that true? How many of you ever really wanted something and you finally got it? Only to realize that you wish you had never gotten it. That's human nature. 
That's why the Bible says that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why Jesus on this day illustrated the point as as fervently and as plainly as can possibly be read in the Scriptures. They wanted Jesus to come and be their king and end all of their suffering and all of their troubles. They had all kinds of traditions that they had built up. In the Old Testament, there was a prophecy that says, seven men out of every nation shall grab the skirt of him as a Jew, saying, take us to Jerusalem to worship God. And of course, that's not an exact quote, but more of a paraphrase of the quote uh, from the Scripture. And so the Pharisees said, huh, seven men out of every nation, Uh, somewhere somebody came up with this idea that there's supposed to be 150 nations, so 150 times 7. Hey, every Jewish man will have 150 times 7 slaves when Messiah comes. Now that's pretty cool if you're a Jew, right? But was that what Jesus said? Is that what Isaiah said in his prophecy? No! He said God was going to use his people to bring others to Christ. To the truth. How many of you have had the privilege of bringing another person to the truth of God? Isn't that a wonderful thing? I don't know anything more joyous in the Christian life than bringing another person to the truth of this book called the Bible. But you see, everybody wants things that are going to please themselves and make themselves better I mean, just just turn on the TV. You got Joel Osteen to tell you how to have your best life. I think that's what he says, isn't it? Let me tell you, you can't have your best life by yourself. In fact, you can't have the best life that God wants for you until you give it up. And Jesus contrasted that here as they were rejoicing and throwing palms and crying Hosanna to the son of David, their expectations was that he would bypass the temple and go to the fortress Antonia where uh, Pilate was and he would, with his spoken word, cast out the Roman soldiers and set up the kingdom with the Jews as the center of it. That's what they wanted. Do you think Jesus was aware of that? He was absolutely aware of that. That's why he wept. Because he knew that only a few years the Roman armies would gather around the city of Jerusalem. The Jewish people still gather at the Western Wall. It's all that's left. The temple itself sat on a plateau above that wall. The temple, there's nothing left. It's gone, completely destroyed. They tell us that Titus had wanted to preserve the temple. It was considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. They had been 46 years building the temple. Zerubbabel's temple had been built several hundred years before. Herod had come along, Herod the Great, the murderer of the babes at Bethlehem, and had built a new temple, begun in his lifetime, building a new temple up over top of the old one. It was 
It was a wonder. The Romans, when they came in, they, they wanted to see the temple and one of the leaders of the Roman army actually walked right into the temple and incited a rebellion because no Gentile was allowed inside the temple court. Titus had tried to preserve it. But they tell us that one of the soldiers in, in his attempt to gain entrance into Jerusalem had thrown a torch over the wall and it landed in the temple and began to burn. And the fire melted the gold in the temple and it began to drip between the cracks in the stones. And when the soldiers saw the gold, they literally pulled the stones of the temple apart to scrape the gold from the mortar and that had melted and run into the cracks and crevices so that they could enrich themselves. Titus couldn't stop them. Why was the temple destroyed? Because they were trying to protect it. You see, they wanted freedom from Rome. They wanted freedom from bondage. They wanted freedom. They wanted their temple to be exalted. They were upset at Jesus, were they not? He had cast out the sellers and the buyers. Who were the buyers? They were the people that were going to offer sacrifices in the temple. He had thrown the whole lot of them out. Because he said, worship of me is not about money. It's about God. He was healing in the temple. How many of you remember the Old Testament law? We touched on part of the passage Last week with the book of Ruth where there was a commandment that Moabites and their descendants could not enter the congregation of Israel to the 10th generation. Do you know that if you were physically handicapped in, a certain, in, in, in any uh, major way that uh, it was uh, impossible for you to enter? A priest could not operate uh, in, as a priest. He would still eat of the sacrifices and be supported, but he could not offer sacrifices if he were physically handicapped in any way. You know what Jesus did? He brought all those people into the temple and he healed them. What a wonderful sight that must have been. They didn't have welfare and workshops and all the things we do today. If you were handicapped, you were pretty much of a beggar to get your daily substance. And please don't confuse them with many of the homeless people of our day who are homeless because of drug and alcohol addiction and behavioral choices that have destroyed their lives. These were people that had no choice. If you couldn't walk, you couldn't work. If you couldn't see, you couldn't work. Jesus healed all of those things in the temple. Now those Pharisees and Sadducees, they were thinking, let the beggars beg outside. They'll get, their, they'll get their dues. Don't bring them in here. Jesus said, bring them in here and let me heal them. Amen. They were offended at the praise that belonged to God alone. But here's what the Bible says. 
Let's turn to Galatians chapter 2. Verse 19, we'll read through the end of the chapter. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You see, they wanted freedom from Rome. They wanted their temple to be exalted, and yet Jesus said, listen, if you're going to be free from the law, then you've got to die. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If the law had to die, guess what else had to die? temple had to die. There's no need for the temple when the sacrifice has already been made. Every ritual and every ceremony that was carried out in the temple and in the tabernacle before it pointed to Jesus Christ. When Jesus fulfilled those things, there was no need for the pictures anymore. We now had the reality. I want you to think a moment. How hard would it be to give up your temple to have Jesus Christ? That'd be a pretty tough thing, wouldn't it? But that's what Jesus was saying on this day. You've got to give up your understanding in life and your freedom. You've got to give up your, your religion and your desires and, and, and your traditions. The last point is just many scriptures and we, we spent a bit of time in, in our Sunday school going through the questioning and, and the attempts at ensnaring and entrapping Jesus in his speech during the week. But let's just boil that down to a, a, a statement here. What was the actual argument of the Pharisees? They wanted to be right. The only problem was if they were right, Jesus had to be wrong. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you want to be wrong? Just raise your hand there. Good, good. Usually we get one. Yeah, no. That's something that none of us want to be, amen? We don't want to be wrong. Now what are you going to do to prove that you're right? Well, I go to church on Sunday... I put up with our preacher. He preaches loud and he preaches long. That ought to count for something, shouldn't it? No, that doesn't count. Yeah, really loud for our deaf people here, amen. You see, everybody wants to be right. Why do we have so many different religions? Because everybody wants to be right. 
And what will we do? How far will we go to prove that we are right and everyone else is wrong? How about the Hundred Years' War? How about that was fought in Europe? People have fought wars over religion, have they not? We have religious wars going on in the world today, do we not? No servant of this book called the Bible and its Lord, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, has ever picked up a sword or a weapon in his name. Now many people have used his name and have used this book as a pretense for war. But no true believer in Jesus Christ has ever picked up a weapon and fought for Jesus. Peter tried, remember, in the garden when Jesus was arrested? He got the guy's ear and cut it off. What did Jesus do? He healed it. Because you can't fight for Jesus with physical weapons. See, I, I want us to think about a couple of things here this morning. The Jewish people had expectations. And if Jesus were of the prevailing philosophy, praise God, he is not, he would have given them something to rejoice about in going to the uh, headquarters of the Roman governor and kicking them out. They would have rejoiced. That's what they wanted, was it not? He wanted to exalt their, they wanted their temple exalted. What did Jesus do? He says, it's supposed to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves and kicked all the people out of it and brought in people who were poor and handicapped and healed them there. They wanted to be right. Jesus said, you can't be right with yourself and be right with God at the same time. How many of you remember the struggles that you went through before you got saved? Um, didn't you want to feel good about yourself and rejoice in life? That's why you drank and that's why you partied and that's why you sought the things that you sought. You realized it didn't work. You had to give that up to come to Jesus, amen? How many of you embraced religion before you were saved and thought you were on your way to heaven only to realize that emptiness in your soul was never filled because your religion though it made you feel like you were right you knew you were wrong you knew you were not right with God you had to give it up then you had to look in the mirror and see that reflection look back at you. Say, you're wrong. You're a sinner. You've broken God's laws. You do not deserve the least of his mercies. And then you went to Jesus and got saved. Amen? Amen. Jesus illustrated that by riding that little donkey into the gate, eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem. Amen? Today is also April Fool's Day. 
I'm not going to take time. I didn't even take time. I was tempted. I said, do, you, do we really want to know the history of April Fool's Day? No. Uh, but we better beware of what God calls foolishness. When we refuse to give up that which we have to gain that which is eternal, is that not foolish? Was that not what happened on the day Jesus rode the donkey into the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem? Man's foolishness was put on display. They wanted to rejoice. Jesus wept. They wanted their temple to be exalted. Jesus said, your temple's going to be destroyed because of the very reasons you want it to be exalted. You guys want to be right, and you're going to go so far as to hire spies and evil men to pretend that they're good? just so you can entrap me in my speech and prove that you're right and I'm wrong. And of course, they couldn't do it. But I'm here today to ask you to give up a few things. Are you willing to give up your joy, the desires of your heart, to gain God and His desires? Most, one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Psalm 37, 4. Well, God, I go to church, and I pretend I like it. I, I read my Bible every day, and I, I work hard at it, and I put money in the offering plate. Isn't that delighting myself in the Lord? Well, how about that uh, uh, cabin in the woods? Oh. You're talking relaxation and rest. How about the pastry shop? Oh, my, there we go. What is your delight, my friend? I mean, if we could just lay it out on the table. What excites your soul? What is it that you are seeking? I can't tell you how many people over the years, Pastor, I just, I just want a good life. And you and everybody else, amen? Well, what about this American dream? Hey, what about it? You can choose to seek it and to have it. This is a country where you can still be rich if you want to be. And you don't necessarily have to cheat and steal and do wicked things to be rich. It's kind of strange. Most of the people that are have. <laughs> well, well, But you don't have to be dishonest to be rich today. It's still a free country, Amen. How many of you remember under communism, there was only one way to be rich? And that was sell your soul to the communist. And then you were only rich as long as they wanted you to be. But how many of you are willing to give up your joy that you might have Jesus' joy? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross 
despising the shame. We hold on to that which gives us pleasure and refuse to give it to God that we may have his pleasure in heaven for all eternity. Now you tell me who's foolish. I've learned a long time ago that God will give you more joy than you can handle if you'll give up your joy to him. And by the way, when we do that, we don't go around talking about what we gave up for Jesus because what he gives is far greater than we have given. Amen? How about your religion, your religious traditions, what you've been taught? I've had people say I was, well, one of the famous statements, I remember hearing it from my own ears several years ago, it says, I'm Southern Baptist born, I'm Southern Baptist bred, and when I'm dead, I'll be Southern Baptist dead. I said, do you know there are people in the Southern Baptist Convention that don't even believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and yet they're fully licensed and welcome members of the convention? You say, no, that's not true. Well, yeah, it is. Check it out. It's gotten a lot better, but they haven't gotten them all out. I remember talking to a church. We had a young lady who was moving to Texas of all places. And so I was calling around trying to find her a church, and I got a hold of the church secretary, wonderful lady. I said, I'm just trying to figure out what kind of church this is. We got a lady moving from our church here in New York City out there to your town. And, 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 uh, and she said, well, we're a Southern Baptist church. And I said, whoa, okay. Uh, but what do you believe about the Bible? She said, oh. If you think we're one of them fundamentalist churches, you got the wrong place. I said, whoa, that's all I need to know, lady. Thank you very much. And hung up the phone with a shaking hand. Hey, it do, it's not the organization you belong to that gets you saved. I gave up the loyalty to my college many years ago when they stopped believing the things that the Bible taught. Had to. Because where's my loyalty going to be? Is it going to be to an institution and a group of men? Or is it going to be to the Word of God? If you want Jesus, it better be here. Amen. We've done a lot of things to ensure that the history of our church and the future of our church is going to be wrapped around this book called the Bible. But you know what? You've got to give up your ideas. Every once in a while we'll have somebody come in. I want to be a member of your church. And we'll begin talking. And, oh, you believe that? Oh, you're not happy that I speak in tongues? No. Uh, you don't believe in divine healing? No. You don't use all the versions of the Bible? No. 
Well, what do you believe? Well, we believe God gave us one book. We believe His Word is here. And if we're going to get it, we're going to go into this book. Amen? And they'll walk away saying, you guys are crazy. Well, that's okay. I gave up my ideas a long time ago, and I just want His. I gave up my religion. Somebody said, you must have been raised a Baptist. No, I wasn't raised a Baptist. I was raised in one of those no-name churches. I always thought, well, the Baptists, they're almost as good as we are. I was a sophomore in Bible college when I was baptized because I realized that I didn't have the right to start my own church if Jesus had already started his, amen? You've got to give up some things if you want to serve God, if you want to be saved by Jesus Christ. By the way, the greatest trap of religion is not all the wrong things they teach necessarily. It's this one wrong thing. That somehow you can dress up your sin good enough to make it acceptable to God. That's what all false religion is about. It's about you doing things to make yourself more acceptable to God. If you're going to give up your tradition, guess what you also have to do? You have to take your sin as awful and evil and stinking and rotten as it is. And you've got to bring it before a holy God. That's what repentance is, my friend, is it not? It is bringing your sin to God instead of going to the fount of religious tradition and trying to wash it away. Could you imagine facing God with all of your sin out there for Him to see? It's a horrible thought, is it not? But that's what the Bible means by humbling yourselves in the sight of God. It's admitting who and what you are and trusting only in Jesus to save you. It's giving up your ability, your claim to being right. You want know only by pride cometh contention. Amen? And we have so many times People want to argue about this or about that. You surrender to the words of this book, there's just not much left to argue about now, is there? Well, that's your interpretation. Uh, you don't get away with that around here. Because you have to read the words. You have to put them in the context of the Scripture. You have to understand them the way that they were written. Guess what? You don't have very many opportunities to make the Bible mean what you want it to mean. It has to mean what God wants it to mean. Are you telling me you're the only one that's right? No. I'm telling you that if I can't show you what the Bible says so that you can see what it says, 
that I'm not showing you what the Bible says. I mean, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. Does that leave you out? Uh, no, all means all. Amen? That includes the saints. That includes the great religious leaders of all times. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's nobody as good as God is. For the wages of sin is what? That's why Jesus died on the cross. But the gift of God? That's something you don't deserve. That's something someone gives you because they love you. But in order to accept that gift, guess what? You're going to have to give up a few things. Jesus illustrated that on that ride into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He's not here to help you realize what you want out of life. He's not here to make you happy, to give you the things that you need. Uh, by the way, I could ask the question, how many of us could stand to lose a few extra pounds? I would challenge you that we have what we need in serving Christ. That he's given us more than we need to serve him. Amen? It is not this idea of living in rags and saying Jesus is so good to me. It is the idea of who's in the driver's seat, my friend. Who's the one that's determining the direction of the desires of my heart? That's what we surrender to Jesus when we get saved. By the way... If you surrendered that to Jesus when you got saved, what's wrong with surrendering it to Jesus today to live for him? Uh, that's what he meant when take up your cross daily and follow me. When you give up your religion, let me tell you, Jesus has his. It's right here. And we'll follow it as much as human beings can follow it. In his church, because that's his way. Amen? Do you believe that? Yes. Really and truly? Amen. And you've got to stop trying to be right and simply let God be right. Jesus said, John chapter 5, 12, verse 25, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, you don't get that in Dale Carnegie's book, and you don't get that in a self-esteem course, and in popular psychology, and in all of those things. But as you try to make your life what you want it to be, you're going to find yourself further and further away from God. If you'll turn your back on your life and give it up, the Bible says to hate it. 
He said, well, how, how can you feel good about yourself if you hate yourself? I feel good about myself because Jesus thought I was worthy to die for me on the cross. How could I get more worth than that? Amen? And when I live this day, I live it to him that gave his life for me. By the way, that works tomorrow too. It works every day. And when we give up our life in this world, when we hate it, as the Bible tells us to, it says we shall keep it unto life eternal. What is keeping you from serving Christ His way? Are you saved? If not, get saved today. Are you baptized? If not, we can take care of that. Are you faithful in his local church? That's part of serving him, amen? Are you reading your Bible? Are you letting God's word make decisions in your daily life? Or are you seeking to be as close to the world as you possibly can and still have one hand in the Jesus bowl? Doesn't work, my friend. You've got to give up your life in this world in order to have eternal life with Jesus Christ. The priests wouldn't do it. They held on to their temple they held on to their tradition. And even though Jesus had proved them wrong at every attempt to entrap him and ensnare him in their word, in his words. 35 years later, they saw the Roman armies gather around Jerusalem. Many of the men were still alive. Most of their blood was laying in the streets as the Roman soldiers tore that temple apart. You know what they died saying? Dear God, I did the best I could. Because that is the cry of the heart of man now, is it not? The best you can is not good enough. You've got to give your life, your joy, your desires. You surrender them to Jesus Christ. You surrender your religion, your religious tradition to Jesus Christ. Probably the hardest one of all. Surrender your desire to be right to Jesus. There's another way we could call that. It's called self-justification. Surrender self-justification for true justification. You'll never go wrong when Jesus is the one that's forgiving you for your sins. Amen.
You'll never go wrong when Jesus is the one that's directing your daily desires. And you'll never go wrong once we're in eternity with Jesus forever. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we just ask that you would take our lives in these few moments and allow us to evaluate ourselves and what is going on in our own hearts. Lord, in a group this size, there cannot help but to be people here that do not know you as their Savior. Lord, we pray that today would at least be another step closer, another step of peeling away the layers of deception and self-deception, that the truth may be seen and embraced for what it is. Lord, we pray for those that are saved here today and yet still struggling to let go of the world and let go of these things that they may fully embrace the selflessness that is in Christ. Lord, the barriers that are stopping them, whether it be baptism and church membership or just, <coughs> excuse me, that simple commitment to be faithful. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in hearts and lives, that we would surrender everything that we are, that we may know you in the power of your resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.